Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. What I want you to concentrate on, he tells those first disciples, those first ambassadors, those first missionaries. He says, I want you to be focused on the mission at hand. And I want to tell you that, that though the missionaries have changed, they've come and gone, now we're on the scene. The plan is the same. We need to be endued with power from on high, supernaturally empowered to be witnesses for Him. In today's broadcast, we have a new two-part message that Pastor Sam has entitled, Are You Ready for the Lord's Return? We will be taking up in Luke chapter 12 and we'll begin in verse 35. This study is going to consider much of what Jesus has to say about his return, something you and I are all anxiously awaiting and hoping for. So let's listen in. Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke 12. We pick up at verse 35, title of our study this morning, Are You Ready for the Lord's Return? We are living in extraordinary times. I mentioned last week that, well, just nine years ago or so, people were freaking out over Y2K. Now it's 2012. Oh, oh, we're not at 2012, but they're freaking out. Why? Because the Mayan calendar ends in 2012. Of course, the Mayans have been gone for a thousand years, so why would we be looking to them for insight into what's going to happen? But it's interesting that, again, you have all of this news and I went home last night after church and popped on the news and they had this special on people who were building shelters and gathering food all because they're afraid of 2012. Well, listen, their fears are going to be realized, but not in the way they think. If you've read Matthew 24, if you've read the book of Revelation, you know there is a tribulation that's going to come. And the question that we're considering today isn't, are you ready to go through the tribulation, but are you ready for the Lord's return? You see, Jesus makes it clear that those who are in him, those who've trusted in him, who are born again of his spirit are not appointed unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The time of tribulation is called the time of Jacob's trouble. It's called Daniel's 70th week. Very Jewish, if you understand where all that's going. Jacob is Israel. Daniel's 70th week, the, the time of great tribulation. Well, all of that lies ahead. But if you're in Christ, you have nothing to fear. You will be with him. I don't really know that we'll be watching what's going on down here. I'm pretty sure from reading Revelation and especially that early section dealing with worship that I'm going to be focused on Jesus up there, not worried about what's happening back on earth. But the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. A glorious reunion, a wonderful wedding celebration. We will be reunited with those who've gone before us, who trusted in Jesus. And then we'll be there in the Father's house as he promised. After the tribulation, we'll return with him. He'll establish his kingdom on earth. And he talks a lot about making sure that between here and there, we're doing exactly what it is he's left us here to do. Well, in Acts chapter 1, and you don't have to go to it, Jesus' disciples, after his death, 
after his burial, after his resurrection, right prior to his ascension, they ask, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus' response to that question is, it's not for you to know the times and seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. What's our Lord saying? The kingdom will be established, but the timing that's in the father's hands. What I want you to concentrate on, he tells those first disciples, those first ambassadors, those first missionaries. He says, I want you to be focused on the mission at hand. And I want to tell you that, that though the missionaries have changed, they've come and gone. Now we're on the scene. The plan is the same. We need to be endued with power from on high, supernaturally empowered to be witnesses for him. Not just witnessing for him, but living a life that, that, that well, people would have to say, well, I don't really know if what he says is true, but I know he's a changed man. Not everybody believes in our Lord, but they can all believe that something's happened in us. And then we can testify with our lives and with our words that it's Jesus who's made the difference. We're to be witnesses at home. And then as we reach out and reach out and reach out to the uttermost parts of the world. Well, this is really what our Lord is sharing. He gives us an outline of what he expected of them and what he expects of us. Now, a lot of the imagery is first century you know, Jewish imagery. So it's like we read it and we're like, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. What's he talking about? Waist girded just means they would have those long flowing robes. They would pull them up. They would cinch them so that they'd be ready to work or ready to run or ready to fight. But you weren't going to do any of those if you weren't prepared to do just that. So he says that your waist be girded, let your lamps be burning and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. It's a first century wedding picture. The groom would be celebrating for, well, sometimes as long as a week. Then he would return bringing his bride back to his father's house. And the servants, the household servants, they were to be preparing everything so it was perfect when he returned with his bride. It's a glorious picture. And for us as believers in him, well, again, what happens when the trumpet sounds and the dead rise and we're caught up with them? A glorious reunion in heaven, the wedding supper of the lamb we read. And it's interesting because he goes on to say in verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the master when he comes will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you, he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or the third watch and find them so blessed are those servants. But know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. He pronounces a blessing on those of us who are waiting for his return. By the way, Titus 2.13 says we should be looking for, it's the same word translated wait here, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, 
Jesus Christ. Jude verse 21 says, Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So blessed are those who are waiting. Blessed are those who are watching. And the watching here is, well, it's not a passive, but an active type of watching. It's talking about making sure that we're cautious, that we're aware, that we're, well, that we're really paying attention. We realize there are dangers around. We can be corrupted. We can be tempted. We could backslide or fall back into sin. So when he's talking about watching, he's talking about watching for him, but also watching out for ourselves and for one another. And then he says something that, well, it would have floored them. This would have been completely, you know, unexpected. He says he's going to gird himself and have them sit down to eat and come and serve them. Well, that never happens after a wedding. You don't see the groom come home with his bride and then sit down and serve the servants. But see, that's our Lord, the ultimate servant. So in a moment when he starts talking about, I want you to be a faithful and wise steward and servant. Well, we're following in his footsteps. We're obeying his command. Well, he also says, hey, whenever it is, second watch, third watch, but they, he finds them watching. Blessed are those servants. And then th this imagery that Paul grabs hold of and, and, and uses later in his writings. Know this, if the master of the house, verse 39, had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Jesus from time to time will take an image that again, you're like, what? You know, coming like a thief. That's what Paul says. Jesus will return like a thief in the night. It's interesting because his coming for us, well, there, there's well, no way to, to know when it will happen. We just know that it will happen. But then his return with us, we actually know when that happens. It happens at the end of the seven year tribulation. We'll talk more about those issues in just a couple of moments. Well, he also goes on to say in verse 40, therefore, you also be ready. That's the title of our Study, are you ready for the Lord's return? And if today you'd say, absolutely. We're not just talking about being ready in the sense that you know when he comes, you're going to heaven. Though I hope you're ready for that. But, but ready in the sense that between here and there, we're doing exactly what he left us to do. I'm certain that no Christian who really understands the scripture, who realizes it says to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. No Christian who understands has any reason to fear the Lord's calling and, and, and return. I'm not afraid that the Lord might come back at any moment. But many of us, truth be told, if the Lord were to come back today, we would be ashamed. We know we'll be there and we'll think, what have I been doing? Why, what, where was my head? Where was, what was I investing in and spending my time and energy on? See, all the things he's left us to do can only be done on this side of heaven. When we get to heaven, all that's behind us. And so, by the way, we'll worship better in heaven, although I really love the worship here. It will be perfect there. We'll, 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 we'll understand everything. So guys like me won't need to be standing before you saying, thus says the Lord, or here's how this works, or here's the background, or here's the language. We will know because the, the Lord himself will be there. And we will not only be with him, we'll be like him. Well, 
In any case, he, he goes on to, to give us a picture, and it's a beautiful one. He says, be ready, the Son of Man is coming in an hour we do not expect, verse 40. I love that. You know, first time I ever heard it, I was like, yeah, that's right. How many of you expect the Lord to come back before the end of this service? Not many. I don't see any hands. Well, listen, that's good news. He says he's going to come at a time we're least expecting. So it could be right now. And, and, and the reality is he wants us to live with that expectation. He wanted them to live that way. He wants us to live that way. But we have even more reason because we have so much more information. They didn't even have a New Testament. They had the old. They, they were living out the new. We know the rest of the story. We know that there are some things that had to happen but have happened. We know what lies ahead. Well, maybe not all of us, but all you need to do to know is to read the book. Well, he's coming at an hour we don't expect. And Peter said, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? Verse 41, very important question. This chapter began with him addressing the religious leaders who he called hypocrites. We talked about it last time. They claimed to know him. They claimed to love him. They claimed to represent him. But he said, hey, your hearts are far from me and, and you're hypocrites. You're wearing a mask. You're posing. You're pretending. So the answer to Peter's question is both. I'm talking to you and I'm talking to those who think they know me and don't. So he gives us a description of well, what he's looking for between here and there. The Lord said, who is that faithful, verse 42, and wise steward? He wants us to be faithful. He wants us to be wise. He wants us to be stewards. We'll talk about those three. Whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will make him ruler over all he has. Faithful, the word itself appears, or the Greek word translated faithful here, 67 times in the New Testament, 16 of them, it is translated believing. It's a wonderful picture in and of itself. Faithful, full of faith. That's what it means to be believing in Jesus. Full of faith in him. Living a life that represents him because we are fully believing in him and trusting in him. Luke uses it six times. He tells us, well, he mentions being a faithful and wise steward here. He says the one that's faithful and least is also faithful in much. And if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon and dealing with those things that are temporal and physical and natural and what well, we talked about it last time, who will commit to you the true riches and then if you've not been faithful in what's another man's, who will give you your own? And then in, in Luke 19, 17, he has this to say. Here, here's what we're hoping to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Because listen, you only have two options. One is well done, good and faithful servant. The other is depart from me. And by the way, if you hear those words, you will be well done, but you won't hear well done. And, and so not to make light of a serious subject, but, but there are only two options when we stand before him. We either hear enter in or depart from me. Enter into where? To heaven. Depart from me to where? To hell. It's real. It's real. Well, he says, 
those who are faithful, those who are wise. And just last time we talked about the foolish and the wise and, and we saw the contrast in the two. There's man's wisdom and there's God's wisdom. There's worldly wisdom and there's God's wisdom. But it's not about being wise in our own eyes. It's about being wise in God's eyes. And Jesus, in the end of Matthew 7, after the Sermon on the Mount, he contrasts the foolish and the wise. And, and he says the wise man is the one who hears his words and acts upon them, acts in obedience to them. He says he's like a man who builds his house on the rock. And when the storms come, and they do, the winds blow and the rains come, the house stands for it's founded on a rock. He says the foolish man is the one who hears his word. And don't miss that. He's not saying the wise hears and the foolish doesn't hear. No, they both hear. But the foolish one doesn't do anything about what he hears. He disregards the Lord's warnings. He, he disobeys the Lord's commands. He says he's like a man building his house on the sand. And when the storms come and they do, that house falls and great is its fall. So he says we're to be faithful in addition to being witnesses who are waiting on and watching for the Lord, we're to be faithful, we're to be wise, we're to be stewards. Now, a steward ordinarily, as you go through scripture, it's someone who is responsible for someone else's goods. And it really applies to us in a wonderful and unique way. Here's why. The Bible says we are no longer our own. We have been bought with a price. Jesus paid the price. So we were his by right of creation, but separated because of sin. Now we're his by right of redemption. He bought us back. That's what it means to be redeemed. And the interesting thing is that makes us, well, stewards of our own lives, of our own bodies, our, our own talents, and, and well, everything we are or could be, we will be held accountable to him for. We are not our own. We belong to him. We're watching over us for him. So once we lock that concept in, well, then we realize that, well, 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. He couples this idea of being a faithful servant and a faithful steward and a wise and faithful servant or steward. Well, fourth word here in this short section is the word servant. Paul calls himself that, a servant of Jesus Christ. When James writes, he says, a servant of Jesus Christ. When Peter writes, a servant of Jesus Christ. John does the same thing, as does Jude. They all call themselves servants of Jesus Christ. Why? Well, he says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. I call you children. But we realize that, that because he's Lord, we serve him. Because he first suffered and served and died. Now we, well, we follow in his footsteps and we suffer for others. We serve for others. We, we lay down our life that we could live for him and for them. And, and so the faithful servant, and this is something you might not have expected either. There are a lot of surprises in this short section. He says, blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing. And in verse 44, we read it. Truly, I say he will make him ruler over all he has. Now, my dad's generation, they grew up in the depression and, and lived through all that. Do, do you know that his generation looked forward to retirement and retirement age for my dad's generation was 55. There's a good reason for it. People worked so hard physically back then. 
that your body was gone by 50 or 55. They didn't expect you to live a whole lot longer and they wanted you to have some time to just enjoy whatever time was left. Well, we're way past 55. I mean, we're sucking 65, 75, 85. My pastor's 84 years old, 83 or 84. Just like your guys, just like your mom and your grandma and Jamie's great grandma. But anyway, um, you know, 84 years old, he's still going strong. So the deal is, is things have changed a bit. But the reason I bring this up is that, well, I grew up because I was taught it by my dad that you work real hard. And then when you get to this stage, then you retire and then you have your life of ease. And I'm thinking life of ease, life of ease. I, didn't I read that somewhere? Yeah, last week. Didn't it talk about the guy who said, I've accomplished all I want. I have more than I need. I know what I'll do. I'll tear down and build up and I'll store all my goods for me and. And God says, you fool, this night your life will be required of you. Then where will all those things be that you've provided for yourself? It isn't about working hard so we can have a life of ease, not in this life nor in the life to come. He makes it clear that part of our reward and every service that's done in obedience to him or out of gratitude to him or, you know, faithfulness, all of that will be rewarded. But part of the reward is the work we'll get to do when we come into the kingdom, he's promised. And that's what he's saying. He's going to make us ruler over more. It's not like we'll be bossing everyone around because, hey, he's the ruler of all. And how does he rule? As a faithful servant, caring for and providing for his flock. Well, if that servant, verse 45, now he contrasts, he says, this is what I have for you. Here's what I want to make sure you avoid. If that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day he's not looking for him at an hour he's not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Peter had said, are you talking just to us or are you talking to everybody? And he said, talking to everybody. I'm talking to you and now I'm going to talk to them. If that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. It's an interesting statement because that is in effect what people who don't believe that the Lord is going to come for us prior to Daniel's 70th week, prior to the tribulation, prior to uh, the time of Jacob's trouble, they're saying my master is delaying his coming. No, we know this is going to happen and this is going to happen and this is going to happen. Hey, I'll share some things in a moment that absolutely had to happen and have happened. And then I'll share a few that are yet ahead that I don't really expect to be here for. But nevertheless, if you and there are many Christians who are, well, I'm I'm a pre-tribulation, pre-millennial Christian. What that means if you're brand new to all of this Premillennial just means I believe that Jesus will return for us and then with us and that he will return and establish his millennial kingdom, thousand year reign upon the earth. Those who are uh, post-millennial, they think that, well, th the millennium is now. And I got to tell you, go back and read Isaiah, check out some of the other uh, prophets of the Old Testament. And, and, and let me be completely clear on this. If this is the millennium, we've been ripped off because we're promised such a better world than that world, the world that we're in. We're talking about a time where there's no violence, where there's no pain, where there's no death, where no, the millennium is glorious. And this isn't it. 
Titus 2, 13 and 14 has always given me a unique view on my preparation for the impending return of Jesus Christ and the effect that that has on my life. It says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. You see, as we look for his return and we prepare for it, we are actually participating in the purification process that is mentioned in those verses. How so? Think of it this way. Imagine you left your kids at home while you and your spouse left on a trip. You left them with explicit instructions on how they were to behave and how you expected to find the house when you returned. If they knew the exact day and hour of your return, they could live any way they wanted right up until it was time to clean things up. Well, if they didn't know the hour and the day of your return, it would force them to live in a way that would keep them ready for your return, no matter when that was. This is how preparing ourselves for his return can help purify us. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.